You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith in conversations with my friends and family. And hey, did you hear that? That little tag at the beginning? That is the sound of so many cool things happening. One of which is, yes, this podcast is now an irreverent podcast. What? I mean, it has been irreverent in spirit from the beginning. But now, thanks to you for listening. And thanks to them boys, them dirty rotten boys, my friends Josh and Adrian over at DRCK for putting in good words. I have gone from being the biggest fish in my own little podcast pond, not even a pond, podcast bathroom sink, to being the tiniest tadpole, the faintest little blip, on the Irreverent Podcast Network. So what does that mean? Well, it means I am in great company with some other fantastic exvangelical deconstruction podcasts who I can now, you know, synergize with. So you should check out the roster at irreverent.fm and see who you would like me to have on this show. It also means you'll probably start hearing some ads on this podcast as monetization is a thing now. Because if you know anything about me, you know that I love money jokes Uh, but I do need money and just to be honest about it I struggle with the idea of monetizing my work as an ex-evangelical actually no that's here's the thing this podcast is almost a year old and so if you have found me in the last year my evangelicalness my deconstruction may be all that you know of me and it is a major part of who I am because my faith for better or worse has always been you know a major factor but I do and I am way more than this. I'm a writer and a musician. I produce theater, plays, and musical theater, mostly musical theater. I love musical theater. My dream is to write for both stage and screen and to get paid for it. And as always, you know, my faith is woven throughout all of that. The intersections of race, faith, and gender, that's that's where I live and that's where I work from. So not everything I produce, you know, blatantly spells those things out, but they're there. And sometimes it is blatant. I'm working on a musical about Christian marriage and commitment with a friend. I'm also writing another show about Mary and Joseph before Jesus was born. And I also, you know, at the same time, I'm making plans to run my show Scandusical again. You know, it's a musical parody of the TV show Scandal. Uh, Basically, your girl contains multitudes. And she would very much like to get paid for her work. You know, I think I'm good at what I do, and because capitalism demands that we attach money to worth, I have to make money somewhere, and I'd rather it be at what I enjoy and what I feel actually matters. So I do get nervous about, you know, charging for this work, because I never want to feel like a pastor, like people's attendance at my church is based on where they think we agree, and I don't want anyone to ever feel like, you know, they're paying me to to say a certain thing or believe a certain way. So, yes, I have a Patreon now, and I would love for more people to support me as an artist as a person, to create the margins for me to continue to do this part of the work. And how did, what? Oh, oh, yeah, monetization. Monetization and money and what kind of work I want to get paid for. The biggest thing for me about, you know, now being part of a reverend is really just feeling seen and useful and like what I contribute is actually valuable. And that it's okay to hope other people think so too. Because I am able to do what I do because I have put a lot of work in. So much of evangelical Christianity and who we listen to was about personality. And I have to walk that line. Yeah, I, I do hope you like me. But also, please know that nobody with real shit to say on this side has come to that solely through personality. We have done and are doing real work. So, 
Anyway, this is all happening right on time because this episode is a great conversation on what pastoring credentials and denominations are actually worth. So, without further ado, finally. My friend, Natalia Terfam, she is the host of the podcast Cafeteria Christian and... Yeah, when everything, the Carl Lentz escapade was kind of happening, she invited me to be on her podcast. And yeah, I never go on to a podcast without having listened to at least a couple of episodes. So that's a good life hack. If you just want me to listen to your podcast, (laughs) (laughs) invite me on because yeah, I'll listen to see if, if the vibes are right. And Natalia, the vibes, the vibes are always right. Oh, thanks. Janice is our most uh, returning guest. We've, jo- we've been joking that she's just going to become a co-host without realizing it. And she has received the very coveted compliment from our other co-host, Jesse Ross, who says that you're dope. And like, it is my husband's dream to get that compliment. <laughs> From Mr. Jesse Ross. And so we just, I just gotta say that that's a highly coveted, highly coveted praise. Well, I'll, I'll take it all. <laughs> and, and back at you guys, like I, I have a good time every time, you know, it's always joking, not joking. Yeah. I'll be the, another co-host. I'm gonna do that. That's so. our brand. Our brand is joking, not joking. <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's very, very, very on brand for our podcast. So outside of podcasting, Natalia is is a real person who is also a real pastor. Dun dun dun. Please Which... keep listening once she said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the previous seasons, the question I would ask the game I was playing is whether or not I'm a Christian. And at this point, I don't care. I mean, I didn't care then. But <laughs> Now with this season and talking a lot about power and structures and the things that kind of make us what we are, the question I'm asking is, have I been to church lately? Should I, should I go? What, what is church? That's, that's what we're trying to figure out. So Natalia, please <laughs> give me three things that to you make something or someplace. Okay, so this is, I think, such this is such a great question for this season. I was so excited to see it on the little preview list because I, um, I think this is the formative question right now as we had to ask this question a lot in the last 18 months because so often we assumed that the church was the building, right? And then all of a sudden everybody was like, the church isn't the building. Um, it's not, it's never been the building. We can't, we can't be in the building, so it's never been the building. And you're like, okay, but... You guys really like your buildings, so maybe that's not so true. Um, and now that people are vaccinated and a little pre-Delta you know, Delta variant, there was a lot of, oh, it's time to get back to the building. And I, it just made me so frustrated to be like, well, we, I thought we said it wasn't about the building, but now it is about the building again. I'm just very confused. So I think there are a lot of big questions around what actually is church that need to be asked. And I think good communities to me are asking these questions, right? Are asking, what does it actually mean to be church together? Is it necessary 
to be in a sanctuary, quote unquote, sanctuary or designated church building or 503C, <laughs> you know, nonprofit location of your choice, warehouse or former Kmart or like whatever it is. So auditorium, the stadium, I, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what we've learned is that as soon as we try to define church especially in, in put it in a building, we are really limiting God, right? God's work is in the world. God's work has always been in the world. And so to say like, oh, God only works here, except if we can't be here, then God is everywhere. But when we can be here, God's only here, right? And I think that's so limiting and so small-sighted. <laughs> and, and I know that makes me sound so cynical as a pastor of a church. <laughs> so when you say, have I been to church? I'm like, I mean, yeah, it's kind of my job to be there. <laughs> so... So yes, and at the same time, I I think the church is so much bigger than a building and so much bigger than the kind of gatherings we have defined it to be over the past, you know, centuries. And so it makes me sad when people want so quickly to move back. I mean, my whole sermon truly yesterday was about not swinging so quickly back to the way we always did it, but being willing and able to ask these big questions about like, what actually is church? And the scripture was from, from the gospel of Mark. So it was like, what is human tradition and what is the commandment of God? It was sort of the, the question. And so that's what I think we get to hold up. You know, the, the podcast we do, our, our tagline is take what you like and leave the rest, right? We're, we're trying to hold these things up, look at them and decide whether or not they belong to God or they belong to us. And, and the reality is, so often the things we're holding tightest to have nothing to do with God. <laughs> and so, and so it's so, it's so beautiful. And honestly, I think we would just call that, we would just call that deconstruction, <laughs> but, but careful, 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 careful. How dare I insinuate that Jesus commanded us to deconstruct gasp, Whoop. send your hate mail to, <laughs> but truly I think, it is part of the work of the church and we just accelerated it and put a magnifying glass on it over the last year and a half. But I think this is always the work of the church is to ask as culture changes, what is, what is church within this culture? And do I think God can meet us online? Yeah, I sure do. I sure believe it's happening all the time. I sure believe it's happening over zoom and online church and in living rooms everywhere. And so I think I think that the the church has some work to do in redefining itself in a way that doesn't cause so much fear and panic about self-preservation, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that was a big answer for do I go to church? But the answer is <laughs> yes, I go to church because I have to. Do I think I would go to church if I wasn't paid to be there? Oh, I don't I don't know right now. Maybe not right now. <laughs> um, I know that's sketchy. I hope my bishop doesn't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> oh God. I think what makes a church is community, gathering around um, who God is. I don't even think I want to say the word of God because I think that's a loaded phrase. But I would rather say it's a community that gathers around wondering together about who God is, being curious about who God is. And does that sort of questioning together. That's what I think church is. So that's why I think church is so much bigger than walking into a, a typical Sunday 
service or whatever, Saturday night or whatever time you have worship. It's, it's so much bigger than that. So to me, when I gather with my group of lady pastor friends, we call ourselves the badass lady pastors. When we gather together and just talk about life and faith and, and God, that to me is church. That's church. That's the church I attend every week is when I gather with those ladies. It's, you know, so I don't know if that, if that's helpful. Was that three things? That might've only been two. Yeah, that might've been 17 things. <laughs> it's very on brand for me. You ask one question, I give you 17 answers. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> but if, if church is a community gathering around wondering about God, like welcome to church guys. Yes, exactly. Then, then how many things are church? Like, that's so beautiful. Then to me, you go outside and you look all the way up and you look at the, you look at a huge tree or you look at stars or mountains or the ocean and you wonder a bit about how small you are and how big the world is. That to me is a moment of church. Like you're doing, if you're doing that with a loved one, you're walking in the woods with a friend, that's, you're in community, you're exploring about the bigness of God or you're experiencing the bigness of God. You're, that's, Church is so much bigger than this one little thing. And to me, I think the key is, is community. I do really think the key to church is community. It's, it's so much less about individual faith that we've made it, right? Your personal, your personal faith, mm-hmm. your personal, all this personal stuff. We really like our rugged individualism here in the United States. But Shocking. I know, gasp. <laughs> uh, but that church is really about Anytime you're in community wondering together about God, then I'm like, that's, that's church. That's church. Yes. So we will accept that answer. Excellent. (laughs) But this podcast exists because that has not been the conception of church that most of us knew and were raised in. Right. So Natalia, how did, how did you get here? What, what is your faith story? I mean, I grew up. Oh my gosh, this, I'm sorry. My cat is all up in, all up in everything. He just laid himself across my book of notes. So I'm just going blind now. Um, I grew up Catholic actually in a tiny town, small Catholic church, but I grew up going to this um, high church. There's a university near my house where I grew up, St. John's University. So it's got this big abbey. You can Google it, see that it's gorgeous. There's monks that are there. It's all this you know, it's like a monastery plus college. And I grew up just steeped in that culture of, of the monastery, which is super interesting. And it was formative for me in the ritual and the attachment I have to some rituals, right? Even now, even though I would, I would not attend a Catholic service if you paid me to, I also feel like the smell of incense does something to me because it is so, it's just so a part of my childhood and the way I was raised. And so there are certain things that will just, that will feel holy forever, despite, you know, the major atrocities that denomination has, has committed on people across the world. So I think when I, and then I went to, when I went to college, I went to a Lutheran college, I actually ended up, um, so, you know, going from Catholic to Lutheran was like a mind blow, right? Because it just felt so like free and whoa. And so to learn about grace and push back, they really pushed back against guilt. That was the first time I'd ever really felt like free from the guilt I had been raised in, you know, about how, how much I needed to do in order to be better, repent. 
and I think that's still in me as well, right? That my initial response is always like, oh, shoot, what do I have to do to get, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to earn my way somewhere? That's always the thing I'm working against. So the, the Lutheran faith really felt like something different to me. And while I was in college, I mean, I, I went to a Baptist church in, in the town I went into. And after college, I went to a Presbyterian church and then a non-denominational church. And I just kind of danced around a bit um, in different denominations and really kept on coming back to Lutheranism. So uh, I'm I'm not saying Lutherans are without faults. That's not the case at all. But the theology of Lutheranism felt to me the most like what I think God is like. And that remains true, despite how much I feel critical or cynical about the denomination itself and how it lives that out, which I, I mean... I am. <laughs> I am more recently than than not more critical of my own denomination. But I will I will say theologically, the idea that grace is just given and not earned, and it is the use of it is on behalf of the neighbor, on behalf of the other, to me, on behalf of anyone who's not me, is sounds the most like Jesus, right? So the idea that you are freed in order to free others. Um, and there's that freedom you're given is just a gift and you're supposed to use it on behalf of the world. That felt the most like what I heard in scripture, what I heard Jesus saying, and whether or not I think Lutherans do a good job at living that out. But I think that's, that still remains formative for me. I struggle, I mean, probably more in the last year and a half. I think I'm not alone in clergy people struggling. I think watching people make choices inside and outside of my own congregation that are clearly not on behalf of the the neighbor has been a challenge for my faith and uh, has been such a struggle for me to watch people so obviously choose themselves over choosing their neighbor and I found that I found that really pushing my faith to uncomfortable places now I think God meets me in all those uncomfortable places um but I've definitely had more like, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? <laughs> I've definitely had more like, shit, you better be real moments this year than than I've ever had before. Like, there's a a line in Kate Bowler's new book where she says, don't make a liar out of me. She quotes a pastor saying that. And I have felt that more this year than ever. Like, don't make a liar out of me, God. Don't make a liar out of me. And I think my... My hope is that just continuing to to preach and teach this idea of of God's love being given to us without reservation so that we give of love without reservation, I think has been, I'm just going to hold tight to that. That's all I've got. Um, and sometimes that's, that's like, I barely got enough, right? And so that's kind of been my, my journey. I think there are more days that I struggle to believe than I used to. I think I used to be pretty solid. I feel like I used to be pretty solid. I think most people would be like, I got a solid faith. And I, but I also feel like the more I struggle, the more God meets me. And I feel like in some ways, the more doubts I have and the more questions I have, the more struggles I have to believe if God is real. I think those truly make me a better, a better follower of God, a better person in the community of faith. You know, I think, I think struggles, struggles only deepen my faith, honestly. And even though I'm like, I have days where I'm like, Oh, I don't buy it today. Um, 
And I think that can be that could be horrifying for people to hear a pastor say. And I also hope it's reassuring for people to hear a pastor say where it's literally my job to have my job to have faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, today I don't I don't know. We'll see. You know, we'll see. So, yeah, I think this this year has been um, has pushed. I think it's pushed a lot on on my belief in the work of God in the world, as I think it has for everybody. And so uh, I just continually hope that that love wins. I believe love wins. I just think right now it doesn't feel like it. And that makes believing harder. (laughs) All right. So you say, oh, that might be terrifying to hear a pastor say, you know, they have doubts and, and maybe, maybe it's because I know you. And so that's fine. But I also think part of it is because I almost feel like you have like earned, earned your doubts. Like it doesn't, you, you can have that because you know your shit. But like, if I were to hear any Hillsong pastor, (laughs) like that would, that would be a kind of terrifying because like, there's no depth, there's no foundation there. So, you know, for me, it would just be like, oh, you have doubts. Well, I am positive. You are a hundred percent a charlatan. Like I already (laughs) thought that, but now especially, but a lot of that comes from Hillsong, the theology I was given, the theology I had being very dumb at the end of the day. There's not much to it. So to hear you say, you know, you're a Lutheran. What? What is that? What does that mean? What what does a Lutheran believe? Okay, so I'll be real clear in saying like Luther I've said you already heard me say it, but I'm just gonna say it so clearly, is that Lutherans have a lot of issues. So I wanna be careful to say that I'm not gonna put Lutherans up on this pedestal. We're the whitest denomination. Um we got a lot of we got a lot of shit to deal with. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, Martin Luther was anti-Semitic. We got some problems with the the dude that started it all. He's an old white guy, so like, there's obviously there's going to be old white guy problems that just go with him. But but theologically, he looked at the the ladder, the the work your way into heaven methodology of the Catholic church and was just like, this feels wrong. And that I can get behind. Right. And I think Lutheranism to me speaks, speaks clearly against prosperity gospel, which Hillsong definitely preaches, right? Like this is, here's what you need to do in order for you to receive blessings or for God to bestow grace upon you or for whatever, like fill in the blank. And what I really value about Lutheranism is this idea that it is not yours. Your faith is not yours. The grace is not yours. The forgiveness is not yours. It is not up to you. And so that is frustrating for a person like me who is an achiever and a type A organizer, like, give me the list. I will check it off. I want that. I understand why the prosperity gospel does so well. I understand why people want to say, just tell me what to do for God to love me and I will do it. Right. And to hear Lutherans say, there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less to me is like a mind blow, right. To say, neither of those things are true. And to have Martin Luther say, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. 
to me is just a clear call about like, God is not keeping a ledger for you, right? Um, but your but how you act on behalf of your neighbor matters to your neighbor. So it requires you to care about someone outside of yourself. And I think that pull of Lutheranism to always to, to be like, you are fine. And I know people hate that, like, but I don't want to give that grace to anybody. You're like, I don't, I'm good, but I don't want my, I don't want that person over there who I think is a horrible human being to also receive grace. And I'm like, no, the whole point of this is that you stop worrying about yourself and you, you step outside. And to me, that just feels so much more like what I've heard Jesus talking about, right? I just, Jesus never doubted the love of God. Jesus never was like, gosh, I hope I did this right. You know, like there's never this or like, tell me what to do, God, and I'll do it. That was never, he just went out and like took care of people. And, and that was a, a, a reminder to me is like, there's a security in knowing that God has already named me and claimed me a beloved child of God. So we believe about baptism, that there is, there is something freeing us to go out. We don't have to sit here and work our salvation. It's already been, it's already been handled. And so that can be hard for people. I get that. I also think there's a, um, when Martin Luther wrote, uh, he, he wrote this, small catechism. You can go read it. It's pretty dorky, but he he wrote it for parents um, to teach faith at home. And he would sort of pull apart these parts of the faith and then, and he would ask this question, what is this? And he would just kind of say like, what do we believe about this? Right. And, and as he did it about the creed, he used this line that many people refer to, but it's like the most Lutheran line, which is I cannot come to God by myself or believe in him. Right. This is like a part of the creed where you say, I cannot, I cannot come to God on my own but God has gifted me with faith. And so to say it is, it is God's gift to me, my faith. And so that I can stop trying so hard to believe better or do the right things or pray harder or read the Bible more or any of those things. It's just not up to me. And then there's always a, to me in, in, in what I believe about, about God is there's always an, and then that as soon as I, I have a, a moment of, whether it's salvation or whether it's forgiveness or whether it's the love of God that I'm loved no matter what. And then there's always an and then, and in, in my denomination in my faith and my theology, I believe the and then is always on behalf of someone else. It cannot be about me. And the second it's about me, then I'm making it about my work, my work, my work. Then it's all about Natalia. How can Natalia be a better person? It's like, no, that's not what this is about. Um, your work in the world is always on behalf of your neighbor. So that was kind of a long rambly, rambly answer to that. But, and my Lutheran theology professors are probably like, Natalia, do better. <laughs> but I mean, the theology of Lutheranism is supposed to come around word and sacrament. So we believe in these two things. We believe in the, the word of God. We believe in the sacraments as a, as a means of grace, as a means of connecting to God's grace. And for us, that's baptism and communion ways that God connects with us. You know, to me, I believe in the power of baptism, not for salvation, but in order to remind myself of who I am, right? So that somebody says to me, well, what if somebody dies and they're not baptized? And I'm like, there's no scenario in which I believe God looks at somebody who's not baptized and is like, well, sorry, you know? (laughs) I just think like that's not within the, the realm of who I think God is. I do think that baptism is for me a thing I have to hold on to when I do not believe in anything and when I'm not sure about anything and I'm like, well, at least I have this. At least I know I'm loved. And that's 
that's got to be enough for today. That's all I've got, right? Yeah. And that when there's nothing else to hold on to, when the world is falling apart, when my life is falling apart, when shit's hit the fan and I'm just grieving or it broken, one thing I can hold on to is that God has named me and claimed me a child of God. And and that has to be enough, right? On that day. <laughs> and sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even believe that today. But but to know that it, it, it's already happened and I didn't choose it and that God chose me, that whole language is really that really Lutheran theology is, is something I, I do strongly believe in. So, and like I said, again, the coming around the word and the sacrament being very Lutheran, I believe to me more than, than the word of God being scripture. It's, it's wondering about God, learning about God. That doesn't always happen just through the Bible. So gasp, watch out <laughs> Sa- again, send your hate mail to <laughs> yeah, oh, Lutheran. Oh yeah, Martin Luther. That's the thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but like even even that, that's nothing I ever, I ever learned in church. Like that, I know more from like world history. Oh yeah, that's that's that split. That's between that's Catholicism versus, you know, he nailed the thing to the door, right? Like the, yeah, yeah, you got it. So, in some in in a no nuance world, we're all Lutherans in a sense, you know. If we're not Catholic, we, we are on that offshoot. Yeah. So listening to you, you know, say, oh, like, it's not, it's not works. It's God, all that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Hillsong says that too. Like I, I have that, that as well. But then when you said God doesn't need your, your good works. Yeah. Yeah. But your neighbor does. And I was like, oh, I've never, never heard that. Like, oh, that's, that's where the split is. Like, that's where it becomes very individualistic. Over here, where it's just all about, yeah, yeah, God doesn't need my good works. God, but no thought to anyone else. And how antithetical to literally everything we know about Jesus is that? <laughs> so you're like, love God, love neighbor. All the law and prophets fall on this. You're like, okay, well, if you love God, you got step one. Like, let's. And that's it. That's all we want. One that's step. All... <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And so then, you know, to say, you know, oh, my theology professors would be horrified. And as I, you're what? What? <laughs> what? Yes. Uh, unlike unlike the pastors, quote unquote, at Hillsong, I went to seminary, which is an accredited theological institution. <laughs> Four years, a full year of internship, uh, a semester of clinical pastoral education where you go into a hospital and do um, clinical pastoral care, and then three years of theology. Mm-hmm including Greek and Hebrew and all the things. It's a lot. It's a lot. What? So I'm not, I mean, do I, so here's, the, I want to be very clear too. Um, you know, you can, anybody can get ordained in the Universal Life Church online. Everybody has an online ordain, ordination. People do that. I have literally no problem with that if you're doing it to like marry mm-hmm. your friends. I just, I don't, it's fine. There's anybody who wants their person Marry, they, they want their best friend to be the person who does their wedding because they know them best as a couple. Fine, that's beautiful. I'm not. I'm not offended. I don't think it's gross. Do I love doing weddings? Absolutely. Will I do anybody's wedding? Absolutely. There is something magical about. I get the best seat in the house. I'm just a joy vampire. Like I'll, they're just beaming happy faces at me, and I just get to suck all that joy in, and it sustains me truly for all the other hard parts of this job. So that kind of ordination does not bother me. If somebody's like, I got ordained so I could do this wedding. I'm like, cool, be you. But also don't call yourself a pastor <laughs> or a reverend or whatever. Like if, if it, it just is, it would be like somebody 
taking an online CPR course and then being Mm -hmm. like, well, I'm a doctor, you know, and you're like, well, you can technically do one part of a thing that a doctor does. And that's fine. We need more people to be able to revive patients in the moment. Like we need that. We need people to do weddings. We need help in these areas. Fine. But you're not a doctor, (laughs) you know, like you shouldn't be doing, shouldn't be in surgery. And I think the work of teaching theology and preaching is so vulnerable for people. You can do so much damage if you have poor theology or if you have, um, if you're un, uh, if you're just not careful with how you talk about God to people, you can really just do so much damage uh, and damage that is special. It's like a special kind of damage to talk about God in the wrong way to people. It's, it's, it's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard. So I feel like to me, to call yourself a pastor when you're not trained in this way to me is really like, what? It makes me, it makes me cringe a little. I feel like, you know, it's probably how doctors feel when they watch (laughs) doctors on TV. (laughs) They're like, you know, Sure, you're acting the right way, but you're not doing anything real. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, God, God forbid that people (laughs) watching this are thinking that's the real thing. Right. Or that they see that person on the street and they're like, come save my person. They're like, I just play a doctor on TV. I'm not a real doctor. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm going to combine a few questions here. When you, when someone said you hear someone's a pastor, what does that mean to you? And then especially like when you're looking at non-denoms and you're looking at something like a Hillsong, what do you think? If you, so you meet someone and you're at a, I don't know, pastor's convention <laughs> and somebody walks up and they're like, oh, I'm a pastor too. I pastor at Hillsong, Minnesota. <laughs> Good gosh. Don't suggest that. Janet. Oh my gosh. How dare you? Universe, universe, strike that, strike that from the record. Please. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, we do have, we do have mega churches here in the Twin Cities. I think um, I, uh, it's not that there's not huge non-denominational churches or what I consider really bad theology, cough, cough, John Piper. But I also think, I also think they, those denominations tend to be pretty insular and they don't, they don't go to pastor conference. I mean, there are, so I will just say, Pastor conferences are like not a huge thing, but there are like the Lutheran pastors have a, have a thing they do. Uh, there's good homiletics. So like preaching conferences and teaching conferences, those are lovely. And where you get to hear from professors and preachers, they tend to not bring in for at least the ones I attend, they tend to not bring in unaccredited clergy or professors. And if you are a professor at a divinity school like Yale or Duke or Princeton or one of these, um, uh, you know, or a Lutheran theological institution of, of, of a seminary of some kind, you're, uh, you're not bringing in these non-denominational quote unquote pastors to your conferences because they, they value the educational component of this job. And that is across Protestant denominations. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, Presbyterians or Methodists or, you know, some of the, we're, we're sort of across the board, right? So like Michael Curry, who's the Bishop of the Episcopal church. I mean, I've heard him speak multiple times. He's awesome. And I'm not like gasp. He's not Lutheran. I can't listen to him. I think he is, he is preaching from the same roots and grounding that, that I am. Right. And so I learn from 
other denominations. I'm not like, I can't listen to anybody who's not Lutheran, but I, I definitely take with a grain of salt, somebody who's non-denominational who got their ordination from the institution where they are currently serving to me, that's all really sketchy. Right. So like, it just feels like you, it's like a stamp of approval from somebody versus like the education and the, there's all these pieces about ordination, at least in the Lutheran church that are communal and educational. So there's two components, they go side by side and you cannot finish the ordination without both of them. So you could have community approval, but if you don't have the education to back it up, you won't get ordained in our denomination. And so it's just the, it's an intense, it's an intense thing. And I know PCUSA, they have like a, a super intense exam, like set of exams that they have to go through. Like you, I know, like it's, it's, it's really intense. And so it's, I mean, I had to take a Bible exam but it wasn't as intense as the PCUSA ones are, I don't think. Oof. So let's say today, right now, I decide I want to be a Lutheran pastor. How many weeks is it going to take me? <laughs> okay, um, weeks, <laughs> weeks. I have to do the math. <laughs> so what's, what's 52 <laughs> times four? <laughs> Some institutions are doing like an an accelerated course, but then it's like super intense in two years. So, you know, maybe 104 weeks, but you know, it's a lot. It's, I mean, it's the courses you take are, they are valuable. I mean, there are some courses that I definitely took. I was like, man, I don't wanna, you know, it's like, but we're not taking, you're not taking math courses for seminary. You know, you're taking, you're taking the epistles of Paul and you're taking church history and you're taking, so you can learn, you know, after the split between the Catholics and the Lutherans, then what was the next split and what caused it and what denominations came out of that so that you have some knowledge of when you're interacting in a very ecumenical world, right? What? What are You're talking are people... to a dum-dum. <laughs> ecumenical is like, multiple types of denominations in the world, right? So like you go out into this world, it's very diverse and it's not like everybody believes the same thing I do. So I can at least have a working knowledge of what somebody else might sort of believe if they say, oh, I'm Methodist. Can I kind of understand what that means? Yes. Do I fully understand it? No, because that's not my denomination, but I know where we agree and I kind of know where we disagree, right? And same with Baptists and same with, you know, all these denominations, we learn about all those splits. That's part of our church history education. We learn about Hebrew and Greek so we can read the Bible in some of its, I'm not going to say original, but like more original languages, right? So that we can wonder together why a translator made this choice. And as you're looking at it, you can say, well, this word means this, but you know, it also means this thing. So, right. We hear, one of my favorite ones is in when Jesus wept, everybody's like, oh, it's the shortest verse of the Bible. You know, Jesus wept and it's all this, whatever. But the word weep, it's only used there and it literally means ugly cry. Like it's the sound a horse makes as it whinnies. That's so much more interesting than wept, right? It's like Jesus really cried. He like full cried. And what does that say about grief for us? How is that so much better to be like, Jesus ugly cried versus like he was, it was like a single tear, beautifully cinematography, like beautiful cinematography. It was just love, you know, it was beautiful because he was calm while he also cried because he's God and God doesn't get emotional. And I'm like, no, 
God effing ugly cried. <laughs> it was not pretty. It was snotty and like like a horse. I'm like, that's awesome. Wow. That's so much more interesting. And you don't get some of that stuff when you are just taking the scripture, whatever translation you're using and being like, well, the NIV is the best one. So here's what we're using and not recognizing like people made choices when they talked about this. And or if we're reading the message and we're like, well, Eugene Peterson, you know, he had some. He had some problematic views on some things. And so can we be honest about that when we're reading his paraphrase, not translation? That's a that's a right. soapbox I can get on that I will not right now. But just to say these educational pieces matter so much as you're as you're out in the world trying to be be open about where God is moving and wondering together about what that looks like. And if you're just like, well, you know, reading the one thing or here's what I've been taught or here's what my, you know, governing body says I have to say. I mean, if you're just parroting, that's not, that's not faith to me. That's not faith because I think you can't just be a carbon copy of the person who said you were good at your job. I don't know. Oof, that was really cynical. <laughs> this is a cynical place. And again, send your hate mail, send your hate mail too. But I'm thinking how how dangerous is it then for you to have these studies and to know, okay, this is what I believe, and here is a baseline of what this denomination believes. And this is where we we differ. This is, you know, this is where the lines are drawn here. So how dangerous is it for something like I don't know, let's say a hill song. Hypothetically. <laughs> to have once belonged to a denomination, have come out of that and now to be its own denomination. And as someone who was in Hillsong, I could not tell you, even even now, you know, a few weeks after being in this dust up with Sam Collier over his credentials or not credentials and the ordination process of Hillsong, I cannot tell you what the Hillsong ordination processes i cannot tell you what that denomination believes like there's nowhere like i I could probably i'm assuming go on the internet and within five minutes maybe 10 know what the lutheran doctrine is like what are some of the the basics weeks into it i don't know what hill songs (laughs) is so like how how dangerous is that yeah, I mean, the things that frustrate me about my denominational structure are also things that I appreciate because they keep me and congregation safe, right? They're, it's a safety structure. They're they're setting boundaries so that you don't just go rampant or some one person doesn't like go rogue, right? I mean, if there's a clergy person in the ELCA who who does like really go rogue and really is like, I'm in charge because the system of the ELC is really set up that congregations have the power. So the pastor, the lead pastor, as much as they are in charge, is never really in charge. The congregations always have the most power. But there is there is reporting systems for our hierarchy so that if there's an abusive pastor in leadership, they can be reported and removed from power. Um, there, there, there are all those structures. So that it's not it doesn't become an unhealthy or toxic environment. I mean, are there unhealthy and toxic Lutheran churches? You bet. We're filled with people. Anywhere there's people, you're going to have, I mean, it's just the reality. But that these systems are set in place to protect, to protect, right? And so when you don't have a a system, a denominational structure that is set up to help and protect, that is, you know, in some ways disconnected from the local congregation, 
that can do some oversight in a way that's not um, where you're not personally affected by it, right? It's hard sometimes if a if a congregation is just on its own, who do they who do they go to for help when their pastor is is abusive? Where do they go if they're on their own? They they're just removed from if they complain, they're removed from power, right? They're they, you you lose your ability to make a change. You're kicked out. You're shunned. Whatever, right? In, in a system that has a hierarchy, so it's not just Lutherans that have this, lots of denominations do, there's a reporting structure. Now, sometimes that's unhealthy, a cough, cough, Catholic church, where they're protecting their abusers instead of removing them from power. But ideally, the hierarchy is, is helping a congregation remove toxic leaders. I don't think it's a perfect system, but I think it's better than not having a, a hierarchy at all. I think it's those umbrellas of denominations, that structure is there to protect both leaders and congregations, right? So if my congregation were abusive to me, like if, if my congregation were treating me really poorly or um, making me do things that I didn't want to do. So in, during COVID, this has happened to clergy I know more where their congregation is forcing them to lead or they're going to get fired. You have a, a reporting structure, right? Um, you have a reporting structure to go get help from your governing body. And so that's help. That's I'm, I'm appreciative of that. So if something were to happen, or if I have a, a colleague, so a co-pastor who's treating me poorly, I can report that in a way that's safe for me and safe for my congregation. And that doesn't, doesn't leave me exposed. Again, it's not a perfect system. There are definitely ways that's, it's really messed up, but, but it's, if you're just on your own and you have one real toxic leader and you complain or, or report what happens, yeah. you're gone. You know, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast is is telling that story over and over and over again. Like how often people spoke up and Mark was like, <laughs> yeah. you're gone. We're, you're, we're, you know, I'm in charge. You're gone. Bye. And and how and then their, how their families got ostracized and shunned and like lost their whole community. And that sort of thing is it's just gross. It's yeah. just gross. <laughs> so to not have and we do have a lot of freedom in the structure, too. Like I am allowed to preach how I want to preach. I'm not given a, I'm not given essentially like Natalia, you have to stay within these, like my, my sermon about deconstruction, I could tell you there's a lot of congregations who would not have handled that sermon. Like my congregation did. Right. So I've given a lot of freedom to preach how I want to preach. And at the same time, my podcast community, I consider that a church, right? I consider that in some ways we, we gather together, we have community online. We're doing these different ways of gathering and yet I, I want us to have, if we do become like, call ourselves a church before I would ever make it my job, I would want to have sort of the safety of a denominational backing in order to protect me right. and them, right? I know, I know myself. I know that I would, I'm like, I would hope I would handle a platform well. I just don't know if I would. And so like, I need... I need some accountability structure. I know that, right? So my co-hosts are there for that. We hold each other accountable. But I also think I wouldn't want to do it without some sort of denominational support where they could really help us and keep my cafeteria Christian community safe if I went on some crazy tear. I mean, I would hope I wouldn't, but who knows? <laughs> I don't know. So I would hope that they would be protected from me if we needed that, right? <laughs> When I go crazy, <laughs> and that amount of of, of knowledge and self reflection is exactly well, you will never make it in a hill song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
yeah, well, uh, I don't think I would be given, uh, I don't think I'd be given a, a platform in Hillsong anyway. We'll just say <laughs> uh, it wouldn't last very long. How about? <laughs> so give me, give me three things someone should know about their church. Like you are making the decision to be here. What are like three things you should be able to tell me <laughs> to prove that you are not in a cult? Uh, okay. I actually feel like I can answer this one pretty quickly. Here's my Enneagram one, super judgmental, coming in hard. Coming in hot. Are you ready? Bring um, it. Bring it. Uh, how, what percent of the budget goes towards outreach? <laughs> and then the other two would be how they, their positions on marginalized communities in leadership. So I would say that's maybe three more, but it would be women in leadership, people of color in leadership and queer people in leadership. And that's, that's where I would say if a church can't tell me what they believe about. So if they're, if they're like, Oh no, we, we love women. They preach on mother's day. Uh, that to me is like a hard pass. Right. So, um, if they have anything, if anything in their what we believe section talks about the inerrancy of scripture, that's a hard pass for me because I don't believe anything is inerrant. <laughs> I don't think anything's without error in the world when it's attached to a person. So that's a big pass for me as well. So I would say that tells me pretty quickly what that congregation believes in, right? So that's, that's maybe four Sorry. Okay, <laughs> always, no. I've always given more than I'm asked for. <laughs> That's great. So anybody listening, just just take those things into consideration and think about it. And, and if you don't know the answers to those questions right now, maybe ask somebody in leadership. And if you are hesitant to do that, reckon, reckon with that. Ask, ask yourself why. That, tell, that tells you something, right? Yeah. I think if you get the like let's have a sit down and talk about this email. I think that's, that's questionable. I mean, there should, there should be a, we can answer this theologically pretty quickly about many of these questions while, um, so my congregation, so again, the ELCA, again, very white, very, very white has some work to do, but that if that congregation is, is very white, but actively working on, racial justice or outreach or um, has an anti-racism kind of gr group or committee or blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. They're all different. They're called different things in different churches. Just note, note those things, right? Are they, are they LGBTQ friendly? Are they, it's not just about leadership, but are they a safe place? Right. And, and when they say all are welcome, does that mean all are welcome, but then you have to change once you get here or does it mean all are welcome to show up as they are fully loved as they are already in whatever uh, relationship they are in and whatever, however they want to bring themselves as themselves to the room. I think if you're, if your church can't do that, I don't know. I, I don't think it's church. <laughs> uh, I think church just as, as the definition cannot be an exclusive it can't be an exclusive community. And the second it is, then we're not church. Right. Again, send your hate mail too. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, everything that you're saying is a lot of what has led a lot of us to deconstruct. And so there's so much attention right now 
being given to to deconstruction and people trying to trying to stop it, trying to tell us how to do it, trying to tell us to, to reconstruct and blah, whatever. So when did when did you notice this thing was happening? And why why are you not you don't seem to be worried about this? Why am I not worried about deconstructing people? Yeah. Okay, so Cafeteria Christian started in 2018. It it came out of a place of a conversation with me and my original co-host, Nora McInerney, who I don't think you've ever been on our podcast with, despite being with us three times. Um, but Nora and I became friends on the internet and then friends in real life. And her frustrations and struggles around faith came after a huge loss in her life. And she was told essentially like, you know, the cliches about God doesn't give you anything you can't handle or, you know, everything, everything happens for a reason, like all these bullshit cliches about faith. And she really struggled. And to have someone to like me that to talk to about this kind of became the, our, our original episode, our original, um, name of our podcast we were originally going to call us not that kind of christian because we wanted to to be something else right and that isn't just it's not just deconstructing but it's it's i think the first step is sort of looking at the at the church or the um christianity out in the world and seeing how it's being presented and being like i don't know what i believe but it's not that it's whatever that is that's not that's not what I believe about God. And I in no way want to be attached to it, right? This is why it's hard for me to say sometimes that I'm a pastor or like tell people what my job is because I want to be like, but I mean, sometimes just because I'm a, a woman, it really helps to be like, I'm a like I'm a lady pastor, so you kind of know what kind of pastor I am, I think, in general, but but sometimes not. And so to say, uh, you know, like Paula White still exists in the world. So I I mean, I also want to be like, you know, not that. So I think that's the start to me of deconstruction, at least my own deconstruction was to be like, I want to be loudly and faithfully someone else in the world. I want to speak up for Christianity, for God in the world, loudly and clearly against what I think is an abomination of, of what God wants in the world. Right. And so to put up a blessed Ramadan sign and to say, we have a common ancestor, and there's something to be found in a common ancestor with my Muslim siblings, right? To say that is to be loudly against something else. To say, here's what here's what we're about here. So we're gonna we're gonna participate in pride. We are going to, and not like in the performative, we're gonna put a rainbow flag up on our Instagram post, but to be like, here's how we participate in pride. Here's how we support the community. We're going to serve and give and be a part of justice in the world. If that's what our community wants to be about, then we're just going to loudly try to be different than what is the loudest voice out there. And that is how our community, our conversation started with, with me and Nora. That's kind of how it started. And that community, um, we put that podcast out there and it was like tons of ex evangelical Mm -hmm. people having that same whatever this is, whatever I believe, it's not, it's not that. Right. And I think that's happened quicker than we thought. I think Trump made that very more apparent. The people who've just quickly switched, switched from being about the, the morality, 
you know, denominate or like, you know, was, we're a moral, whatever the word, moral majority, whatever that was into like, oh, we're going to follow this guy. It was so gross. Right. And somebody who was so obviously not about what Jesus was about. And I, I just think that kind of, I think you even talked about it on our podcast where you said deconstruction is nothing more than just like taking apart. It's just taking apart, like exactly deconstructing was taking apart. But part of that is holding each piece up and saying like, what is this? Is this what I think God wants? Is this, like I said yesterday in my sermon, is this human tradition or is this God? And, and that I think is, I'm not scared of that work. I'm not afraid of what it's doing to the church. I look forward to what it's doing to the church. I look, I mean, I think Phyllis Tickle said that the Holy Spirit has a rummage sale every 500 years. And I just think like the Reformation with Martin Luther was 500 years ago. And so here we are again. And what is, what is the Holy Spirit doing? She's blowing through and knocking shit down and we're just going to see what sticks. And I'm fine with that. I think the problem is when we're scared of what deconstruction is doing, uh, we tend to hold so tightly to the crumbling pieces trying to hold it together and we're holding on to the stuff that's supposed to blow away. Right. And, and in doing that, we are missing out on the opportunity that God has for us somewhere else and, and looking like something else, right. This, this, like we're so closed minded on what it used to be and what it has to continue to look like that we are just missing where God is, where God is blowing us, like, go, go, the Holy Spirit. She's like, get out of this building. It's so much better outside, you know, like, go, go, go. And we're like, oh, I don't know. It looks cold out there. It's like, no, but go, go, go. Um, And what would that, I mean, I just think there's just a lack of imagination. And I think to ignore people deconstructing is to close our ears to the creativity of God. I mean, I think people who are, actively deconstructing are coming up with the most beautiful and innovative and creative ideas about church. And everybody's like, Ooh, I don't know if you believe in God anymore. And it's like, no, that's not, we're not leaving God. We're leaving this weird building over here that I don't think means anything to me, but I, I find a lot of meaning in fill in the blank somewhere else. Right. And so I think ignoring that is just, we're just missing so much beauty about who God is and, and what God is about. And it makes me, it just makes me so sad. I'm not scared about, about the church will be fine. God will be fine. You know, like faith will be fine in the world. It'll survive. But the way it looks now is not the way it's going to look in the future. And until we can come to terms with that, like we're just going <laughs> to, all these little churches are just going to die and maybe they should. But, um, but I think we just, we could, we could be a little, we could just be a little more flexible. <laughs> Even just a little bit. Listen, I, I love a dying church. <laughs> I'm for it. But listening to you talk, it's so refreshing because like, I, don't, I don't feel fear coming off of you. And so much of my religious experience was just fear-based and being so afraid of what's about to happen and you know what's, what's going to happen to you. So how, <laughs> all right, people are leaving this burning building. You're a mom. What are you telling your daughter? How much does it matter to you? Like Layla comes home one day and she's like, I'm leaving this building and I'm leaving forever. Mom. I mean, whether or not my daughter believes in God does not matter to God. <laughs> and so I'm going to keep teaching her what it looks like to love in the world. Like God loves in the world. I think 
that matters way more than spotty mm. church attendance or like sitting in a pew quietly once a week. I just don't care. Um, and I say that as a person who, <laughs> I mean, my goal, if this really were what, what I, what I think should happen in the world, I wouldn't have, I mean, I'm essentially working myself out of a job here. Right. Which is, I understand how that's scary. I understand how a church like Hillsong or like, you know, these big churches, they are huge machinery and lots of people are, are making well, not all living wages, but some people are making a lot of money and they want to keep their lifestyle, right? I get that. I have moments where I'm like, I would want to walk away, but the thing that keeps me honestly sometimes is my health insurance, right? Like that's the scarier thing to me is not my paycheck, but my health insurance. But to recognize that that there is no there is no church or building or whatever that I need to save more <laughs> than, than I think it matters that God's voice and love is heard in the world. I just, I'm like, I can do my pastoring outside of a church. I can do it. I don't need the building. I mean, maybe I need the paycheck, but I think we could figure it out. Like, you know, somebody was like, what do you want to, what would you do if you weren't pastoring? And I was like, I think maybe I'd work at a flower shop. I think it'd be fun to spend my time surrounded by pretty smelling things. Like that'd be fine. And you make people happy by sending them flowers. That'd be great. And my husband was like, oh, I mean, maybe, but sometimes I think for, for my kid, I mean, she goes to a, a Christian school and she'll come home and we'll have conversations because she knows, I mean, I'm way more liberal than the school mm -hmm. she goes to is. And, but I, I, part of the reason she's still there for me, why we keep her there is that when they have conversations, I want her voice of inclusion and justice to be in the room. I want her voice in there. And when they have parent meetings about some of the stuff, I want my voice to be in there. It matters. Right. And that's a community in which I can do that work and not feel um, like we're not safe. And so that to me is good work in the world. Right. And I want to teach her how to do that. Right. That she's speaking up on behalf of justice and on behalf of women. You know, she comes home and she'll be like, we sang a song and I changed all the pronouns to she for God. And I was like, excellent. You know, like, I feel like that's such good work in the world where she's like, she's doing this, this pushing, pushing stuff too, because she has a mom who's doing this pushing stuff too, but I love it. I love it. Or, or she had to make a little thing for her first communion at church. And she did this like racial justice, two hands holding a white hand and a black hand. And she was like, all are welcome at God's table, no matter what they look like. And I was just like, I, you know, I just, I was like, good. I'm good. I'm so glad that her voice is there. Right. And so that matters way more to me than what exactly doctrinally she believes about Jesus or God. I care. I just care so much less about that. And and I think if if that's how she ends up existing in the world where she's like, I don't know what I believe about God, but I really think it's important to love people. I'm like, all right, I think I've done a good job then. That's enough for me, right? And I know that's like working myself out of a job, but I also believe that my job is going to change with the church. And I just don't know what that looks like yet, but I believe that there's a place for my voice in the church, whatever the church looks like. I believe there's a place for me. I just have to trust that it'll be, it'll be found. <laughs> and I, I'm not that great with not knowing, uh, but I'm doing okay right now. <laughs> you caught me on a good day. <laughs> you caught me on a good day for being, uh, having an ambiguous future. <laughs> What's funny is that I had, I originally had a question on here. Ultimately, I don't believe pastoring should be a paid job. Like I just think as soon as faith and money get 
mixed up. Like it just, it's crazy. So I had a question. I was like, if you couldn't be a pastor anymore, if I had my way, like, what would your job be? And then I was like, calm down, Janice. That's too aggressive. Take it away. But <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of clergy asking that question right now because we are, we are seeing in some ways more than other people are seeing it. We are seeing our future be different. It's going to be different. And so there are questions and not everybody can write books, right? Like, I, I mean, like, sure, but like not everybody can do that. If, if I could just sit on my deck and write all day, would I do it? Yeah, for sure I would. But can I make a living on that? I don't know. I mean, I haven't really tried, I suppose. But I do think there is something beautiful about the role of a pastor outside of a church building, right? I, I, I think paying pastors for a service in terms of like preaching and doing weddings and doing funerals, that's fine. Like that's part of, that's part of what I think my job is. People are like, I don't want to do this thing, but I'll pay you to do it. That to me is like a paid job. But some of the other pieces where I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to make money on this job. You know what I mean? Like if you're doing the job for the, for the paycheck, like, I don't know, that's not why I'm doing it. I mean, obviously I said I'm doing it for the health insurance. <laughs> uh, but like, but you know what? That's I would capitalism be okay. That's, that's America's. That's capitalism. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, I, I would, for the most part, I'm not going to say I would do the job for free because I think my time, I think my time is worth something. And I think the work I do, the writing I do, um, is worth something to people. And I, and I think I'm good at it. So I would love, I I do want to get paid for the work I do. Right. But I also think I agree to some extent that there is some rocky road with being paid to pastor, right? I don't want anybody to ever feel like I'm showing up to be there for them because it's an obligation financially. Like I won't get paid if I don't do this. And I would hope people don't feel that way, but maybe, maybe they do. And there are some Sundays where the only reason I'm showing up is because I'm paid to be there, right? There are Sundays that's true. And, and I think that's, people have to recognize that the job of a pastor is it is a job too. Like it is, there are parts of my job that are, that are just work. (laughs) And there are, and there are parts of my job that are, uh, that are such a gift. And I cannot believe people let me be with them in these moments. Right. I cannot believe that people call me into a hospital room or, or a funeral home and ask me to be with them in these moments. I cannot believe it. It is astounding to me. And and it's those moments where you look up and you say, don't make me a liar, right? That's that's when you have these moments you're like, the theology of presence in those big moments matters as much as as much as whatever the doctrine I'm bringing with me is, right? It's it's showing up for people. And there is such a gift in that to be a person who helps. I don't think I bring God into the room. I think I help point out where God is in the room. And so in that sense, I don't think I'm required for any of these things, but I do think I find it to be such an honor that somebody asks me to be there and help them find God in the moment. And, and I'll always do that. I won't, I won't, you don't have to pay me to do that work. I'll do that for free. I would hope that other pastors would have that same, (laughs) same but I also, I'm not dumb. <laughs> I know that's not true, but um, like listening to you yeah. and then like, I realized just the perspective I'm coming from, you know, when I'm thinking about, oh yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't pay these idiots. You're not, you're not making Carl Lentz money and you put in 
way more time, like up front, like you have actual education, you have actual, you know, standards you had to meet. You, you actually do the job, like the things that you're saying, that's where I get mad because people are making insane amounts of money for doing nothing. Like the work that you do, that's the work I was doing, you know, writing sermons, but also just like as a connect group leader, you know, these pastors, they're not coming to the hospital. They're not coming to people's events. They're not praying with people week to week. They're not getting the phone calls. Like that was, that was my work. So when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, a lot of us were doing this work for free and the people who were getting paid to do it weren't doing it. So like that's that's where so much where my <laughs> aggression comes from. Yeah, um, aggression understandable. Comes from. <laughs> yeah, but then like, would I like Natalia to be making Carlin's money as a person? Yes, as a pastor, no, because then it goes back to just that earlier conversation about what would I do. I know. Would I just get cockier than I'll get yeah. out? Probably. Like I don't. I it's. I mean, yeah, and and honestly. I think more money would make me, uh, maybe this is different for me than a Carl Lentz truly, but because I'm such a rule follower, more money would make me feel more obligated. And I'm pretty boundaried in my time and energy and what I give to my family and what I give to myself. And so I think I would have a harder time setting these strong boundaries about my days off. And when I don't interact with community members, if I, if I was getting paid so much more, I would be like, well, they're paying me a lot. So I feel like maybe I should do all the things. And right now I'm kind of like, I don't have to do all the things. Like I feel like I'm, I'm paid what I worth. I don't feel like I'm underpaid. I don't feel like I'm overpaid, but I also feel like I'm not going to do more. I'm not going to, and I think there's an expectation that pastors are martyrs in some denominations. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not following that model. I'm not going to work myself till I burn out and then can't anymore. I mean, I think some of what you're saying about, you know, that that there were people who were unpaid doing all the pastoral care, doing all the pastoral work. I mean, if you were in a healthy community, which I don't think Hillsong is, but if you were, the goal in that would be the pastors would be giving pastoral care to the people doing the pastoral care, right? That there is some level. But I also feel like then the training for those volunteers needs to be significant because you're putting them again, like I said, it's so vulnerable and you can do so much damage with bad theology that it's like a special volunteer that I would send into a hospital room. Right. It's just like, it's just such a hard, vulnerable, beautiful, thin place. Right. But there was a, my colleague's dad just recently died. And one of the nurses was like, well, it happens. Like that's what she said after his dad died. And it was like, what are you, what do you, you know, like your, your job, (laughs) you know, it's just like, you can do so much damage to a grieving person or a grieving family by just saying an offhand thing, thinking you're saying the right thing, or even trying to say the right thing. And, and it takes, it does take training and, and work to, to not damage people. And I probably, I've still damaged people. I'm sure I'm not, I'm not like holy, you know, but I, I'm not magic. Ordination didn't make me magic, but I still think I'm still human. Good gracious. But I think I'm at least doing maybe some ideally less damage, less damage. And I think sometimes that's why I really have found one of the things you said on our podcast was that there's, you think there's no such thing as a good mega church. And I have found that to be really, that has stuck with me quite a bit because as soon as you start relying on unpaid volunteers to do the work of the pastor, it gets, I mean, that's, that's hard, right? That's hard. I have, I have 
um, people that I have on like a visitation team that go do visits, but they don't do hospital visits. They do like, they do nursing home visits and bring, you know, bags of cookies to people who are homebound. It's like you're doing, you're doing community care, not pastoral care. And I think that matters, but I think there are things that we're trained to do that I just think asking, I mean, you're just setting yourself up for hurting people and being toxic too. And then, and then you're just rising up, right? The ranks and all these people down here doing all your grunt work. Like you said, hierarchy always puts somebody on the bottom. I think that's really sketchy too. And so I would be really careful. There are volunteers we have that help things run, but they're not doing, they're doing details. They're not doing, do you know what I mean? Like they're handing out bulletins and being a greeter and like those things that are lovely and very low stakes and very, you know, easy to step into and help with and make people feel like they're a part of the community. But I'm not like, Hey, come and go give, you know, a blessing to this person who's dying. Like, I'm not going to send Arlene into that situation and be like, thanks for volunteering, Arlene. Can you go be with this person who's dying? Like, that's not, that's not her job. And I think the same goes with preaching. Like, I think we have to be careful who we put up, uh, put a microphone on and say, talk about God. I mean, there's, it's just, we just have to be careful because people assume that if you have a microphone, you know what you're talking about. (laughs) And that's not always true. And I'm skeptical of certainty a lot. And I think the more certain someone is on a microphone, the less I want to believe what they have to say. And my preaching shows that I think pretty regularly. I'm like, I don't know the answer to this, but here's a question I have, you know, and I think, Um, I think that's hard. That's hard for people when we just want, we just want our pastors to have the answer. And I get why somebody would choose to go to a Hillsong church instead of mine. I get that. I get it. (laughs) But I think the theology, um, that we try to have around who God is and what God's about is better than what Hillsong is doing. (laughs) Again, send your angry emails to (laughs) you guys better send them to both of us because she's not wrong. So I'm I'm burning down churches. I'm getting rid of them all. But before they're all gone, one pastor is allowed to remain. And that is you. <laughs> wow. What issue? Can I choose a friend, a pastor friend to come with me? <laughs> I don't want to do it by myself. Yeah, you can You can bring whoever you want. Okay, 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 good. The badass lady all pastors right. are all going to come. <laughs> and what issue are the badass lady pastors making America take on for the next six months? This is what we're all working on. What is it? If I could make every church in in the whole country focus on one thing, it would be liberation theology. I would want everybody to understand what that is, A, and what it looks like. Because I think we have such a messed up understanding of what freedom is in this country. And we have, I mean particularly lately around mask mandates and all this bullshit about what freedom looks like, we're really, really messed up. So to understand what what the freedom given by God is and what it looks like to work on behalf of freedom for everybody else, I think would be a profound exercise for churches. Worthy, hard, but worthy. Nice. All but right. Worthy. <laughs> As we finish up, Um, Because I'm trying to show people that, you know, deconstruction is not that scary. And we're actually doing it all the time in different things. All it really is, is just accepting new information, looking at things differently, just, just letting things be new. So Natalia, tell me, tell me something new. What is something 
something good, something encouraging that you have learned or realized or discovered in the last year, in the last year? Um, I think something new, this isn't new, but it's relearned, is that yeah. big is not better. <laughs> I think these tiny intimate gatherings we've been able to have have been so incredible. I did a wedding outside in February in Minnesota. It was awesome. 15 people. We had spiked apple cider afterwards. It was incredible. The brides wore fur. I mean, it was just like like fake fur, but like a fur headpiece. And one of them had like a fur shawl. They were so beautiful. There was just their family there. It was so beautiful. It was meaningful and profound and powerful. I've done funerals in people's backyards and living rooms. I think there is nothing less holy about the smallness of these intimate gatherings. And I think when we narrow things down to smallness like that, we are really figuring out, we are asking, we're doing deconstructing, right? Because we are saying, what actually matters here? What's, what's the most important thing? Was it the party? Or was it being with my person, right? Was it vows? And then the vows people are writing right now are way better than vows they've been writing with the big parties. And I think it's because we've been narrowing in on these beautiful truths about life right now. I mean, COVID made us, our worlds smaller in some ways, right? We were narrowed down to a tinier space. We were better about checking in with the people that mattered most. We were... That, that like narrowing in to me has been such a gift, a beautiful gift. And I'm worried about the quick expansion <laughs> that we are trying to do. And so I just keep reminding myself, small is not bad, bigger is not better, small is beautiful. And that's kind of been a refrain I've, I've told myself regularly is that you're allowed to stay you're allowed to stay narrow. I don't want to say small because I like want to. I want to take up space, but I also feel like you're allowed to narrow things down to what matter and and let other things go. Part of deconstruction is is doing that work, right? The Lutherans have this fancy church word called adiaphora, which means indifferent things, and you just get to say like, this might matter to some person, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter to me. It's not a big deal to me, and I'm allowed to say like. God didn't command me to sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve, so I don't have to, right? Like, that's not a commandment. Now, do I think we should sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve? Like, yeah, I I really do. But like, <laughs> but what matters about these things more? And people who are scared of deconstruction, like, you've been doing this this whole time. That's all we've been doing is like narrowing down and figuring out new ways to do it. All you're doing is deconstructing. It's not that scary. Like, we're just so good at it. And I think to not be to not be worried about having a small a small anything. Big is not better. Church, faith, life, small is okay. It's okay. So that's that. I know not everybody is as far gone as I am when it comes to church membership and attendance. I don't want it. I don't need it. It's not something I miss. But some of y'all still long for that kind of community. And I hope, especially if you are coming from a non-denom background like me, that you will consider something different. Like Natalia said, the Lutheran Church is not perfect. She's not perfect. But they are there. And they're open. 
This is a friendly podcast. I only talk to people I like, which is not to say that, you know, we always agree. Sometimes my friends get a little too Jesus-y and I want to crawl out of my skin, but I never feel any of that with Natalia. There's just something so easy about someone who is both knowledgeable and secure in their faith. And it is so different from anything I ever experienced with any of the non-denom pastors. There was always a level of insecurity, and rightfully so. So many of these people are dum-dums. And the more time and distance I get, the more horrifying it all is. Too many of us gave way too much time, way too much money, and way too much power to dicks with personalities. Be honest. Would your pastor have put in four years of legit study to have the job that they have? Did they? What are their credentials? What are the standards and requirements for someone to become a pastor in your denomination? What is your denomination? And if it's non-denom, why? What was it that the leadership of your church felt so strongly about that they couldn't align with something already established? It's a sick system, y'all. And I think you deserve better. And I know what it is to be so entrenched in something that you think the best thing you can do is to stay and fix it, but that's a lie. It's a trick, and you deserve better. So if you're looking for a different kind of pastoral example or Christian community... I am on almost all the things. I think uh, Facebook, I'm Natalia Turfa. I think everything else, I'm nturfa across the board. So Twitter, Instagram, nturfa. You can also find the podcast community I'm on on Instagram at Cafeteria Christian. And my website is nataliaturfa.com. That's all the, all the places, I think. And you can email me or message me on all those things. I know this is a risk. It's a risky move, but my DMs are still open. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. Let's shut these DMs down. <laughs> oh, good gracious. Quick note, Natalia is a pastor, but unless you are going to actually join her church, please do not try to make her your pastor. We are damaged in ways that she is not responsible for. and She does not need the extra work. That extra work is a hours. But she is a great friend and a great ally to walk along with. And to my church folk who have escaped, who finally have two feet out the door, even if you're still lingering just outside, keep going. The world is so much bigger and there is so much more. For years, decades, lifetimes, we were programmed to be in the world but not of it. But it is such a gift, such a beautiful thing to be in the world and love it. The same way the Christian God did, right? Enough to be here, really be here, and live. Anyway, I am Janice Legata, and this has been another episode of God Has Not Given. Thank you for joining me. If this has meant anything to you, sparked anything for you, or was just a general good time, please let the people know. Rate and review this podcast on Apple. Ask about me at God Has Not Given on the Gram. And if you would like to support this podcast, support me as a person, Patreon, Venmo, and Cash App are all available options. So hit the show notes for all the links. Take care of you. Be well. And I will talk to you soon. I am